Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Laura. And I'm Lisa. And today we're talking about boomers. So Lisa, I think uh, across all of our conversations or many of our episodes, boomers is kind of like a where's Waldo of something that kind of appears (laughs) as like a through line throughout a lot of our conversations, but we've never actually had a conversation just about boomers as a generation. So I'm excited to do that with you today. What do you think about the generation of boomers? Like, who are they to you? So the boomers are the the cohort of folks born between 1946 and 1964. And my parents are certainly boomers, but I also write about this period, right? I, I mostly write about the period between 1954 and 1980, which is like just at the center of when boomers sort of dominate global consciousness And that cohort is really important because it's the largest youth generation ever in the history of the earth, right? They're the post-war babies. And I think there's a narrative, especially in white families in the West, like the men who did come home from World War II were so lavished with attention and there was so much relief and gratitude that they made it out alive that, you know, there's this huge baby boom that happens as a result And when I say it's a huge cohort in the U.S., by 1966, 60% of the population were these teenage boomers. So it's a huge cohort, but it's a huge youth cohort. So it creates rock and roll. It creates counterculture. It creates the idea of the teenager, which did not exist in public culture, really anywhere in the world, as a popular phenomenon, as a category of human until the baby boomers. And that's a financial category because these kids, these teenagers, these white teenagers in particular had some disposable income. So they're the first youth generation that had money. So they got comics and movies and music. They were catered to as consumers, which I think drives a lot of the conversation and resentment about them as a generational cohort now. So I don't know that. So that's sort of where I locate, you know, the boomers as a historical phenomenon, as a cohort a global cohort and they there were so many of them that they didn't get displaced and they had way fewer kids than their generation so they're still in power so even though they've been in power for the almost 50 years that I've been on this earth they're still the ones in power <laughs> and so i think that we're in some ways living through a political moment where people are really grappling with the fact that the boomers did not share power and turn over those leadership spaces to younger generations. And if you look historically, when that happens and a cohort doesn't transition power to a younger generation, it creates the conditions for authoritarianism. And so certainly we're living through that. So when you think about the boomers, you're obviously younger than me. Do you have a different relationship to them than as this consumer class of people that have just like held power for your entire life? No. Same, yeah. So my parents are also boomers. I would say the youngest boomers are now all 60, right? I think they've reached that milestone. Um, and my parents are, I guess, on the younger side of what is considered boomers. Because it was such a huge youth culture, I think there are some misconceptions about like who the boomers are because it was a really diverse group of people. There, yeah, yeah. Yes. There were progressive movements in the 70s. On the whole, though, the boomers are responsible for quite a conservative culture 
even though there were those youth movements and there is diversity within that cohort of people. From my perspective, when we talk about who is a boomer, like with the context of that generational resentment, for me, it's like anyone who voted for Ronald Reagan. Seriously. Because the political power like that came from that political moment, like extended to both sides of the political spectrum, right? Like Clinton also. (laughs) So that like neoliberal consolidation of power is kind of, I think, at the heart of the generational resentment. It's what created the tax havens for corporations that happened under Reagan and the lack of increases in minimum wage and like the gutting of social services and of unions. And so I think that is kind of where boomers became essentially like a extractive <laughs> generation. I agree with that. You know, obviously I teach a seminar on Reagan and write about this period. And I think that it's not just certainly the Reagan Democrats or the neocons. It's also how many people sat out the 1980 election, like the turnout was super low and people were just turned off of politics because things got so weird between the evangelicals on the left and the evangelicals on the right. Because, of course, you know, Jimmy Carter was an evangelical before he left the Southern Baptist Convention. So I think 1980 is a convergence of evangelical power, which has produced a bunch of the, you know, conservative fash that we're living through right now, especially sort of the premillennial dispensationalists anti-black, anti-trans, anti-woman politics. But I also think that you're right that as an economic cohort, the extractive politics really consolidate in the 80s. Like I'm thinking about the difference between PBS in the 70s and the electric company in Sesame Street versus sort of the kind of youth culture that we have for children now, which is, you know, certainly more product placement and extracted that way is just one data point on a huge continuum of space that the boomers have occupied, whether it's like not switching to more fuel efficiency or Reagan taking off the solar panels from the White House that Jimmy Carter had installed. There is, I think, a really unfortunate regressive politics of the boomers as a a white cohort. It's not the same if you look at black or brown boomers, right? They are more black boomers in particular, both black men and black women, black men being more radical and left than black women are totally different, except that they're incarcerated at such high rates that they are also cut out of participation politically. I agree with you that there is just a a real financial conservatism that has been like an albatross. All of the promises of liberalism that were in some ways pushed forward by Cold War anti-communism, those are gone. And now it's just naked extractive capitalism. It's just fracking away for as much money as you can get. It's really cruel, I think. So I think the distinction between white boomers and black boomers is real because as like social services were dismantled, underprivileged communities had to create their own like, social services. Yeah, they had to create- the Panthers did it. Yeah. So, I mean, that is a progressive politics that is a civic engagement that I think boomers shied away from. I mean, they grew up in the suburbs. It was a culture of kind of isolation and individualism. They didn't grow up in community spaces, the white boomers. And so 
I mean, that has led to a lot of the focus on the household as a core component of your identity and all of the marketing that comes along with that. Well, the house as a commodity, right? I mean, that's one thing that struck me as we were getting ready for this episode. We were talking about how the boomers had access to public education and had access to higher education in much higher numbers. And women and white women in particular had access to education. And that was good in a lot of ways, but it also changed the real estate market because once women could get college degrees and could get jobs that paid, then the real estate agents and the banks jacked up interest rates and prices for commodities so that women could not own homes by themselves. And so, you know, Elizabeth Warren in her book, The Two Income Trap, talks about the history of that as a way of keeping white women financially dependent upon men. And so it skewed the entire wage market in ways that have been really deleterious. But what you are documenting, what you're talking about is the shift from like, agrarian and technological wage labor to service wage labor and white collar wage labor. And that has left a lot of people behind, even as all of these white folk, poor and middle-class boomers are like absolutely supportive of the massive expansion of the police state. And their success in air quotes and their access to education and wages and jobs and houses was fundamentally dependent upon the coordinated repression of black communities, in particular urban black communities, especially by the FBI and local police forces. And we're living through the horrors of that still. Like there's like all of the titillation about anti-black death and murdering unarmed black people is a legacy of white family, white households, white communities, white property. And it expanded so massively under the boomers, it's hard to see it as a negligent variable. So when younger generations call the boomers out, you know, through this politic, like the OK Boomer meme, they're really pointing to the extractive politics and how racist and anti-queer and anti-eco that they are. Yeah, I think it's hard to articulate how much consolidation of power there was and how much it was supported by the police state and like later the military as we got into the like anti-terrorist shit. under from Vietnam to 9-11, absolutely. Yeah, so as people got property, it was seen as like the main source of it was the main source of people's individual wealth and also as that market was expanding people saw that investment potential and wanted to protect that investment potential like i think the boomer dream is like that passive income like earning money while you sleep i think if you if there's like a emblem of like the fantasy lifestyle it's like margaritaville it's like jimmy buffett (laughs) you retire early on the beach Like all of that centered around property and a lot of that centered around like, how do we push up our property values? And the way to do that is to create like a class system, essentially, that pushes people out of your neighborhoods, creates zoning laws that keeps other people from building in certain areas, has that tough on crime mentality where like, yeah, over policing, the rise of gated communities, like all of that was about creating wealth and keeping other people from interfering with 
your own personal valuation. <laughs> it's not obvious. I mean, there's like a lot of psyop that I think mystifies how all of that is happening now with the housing market being out of control and a bunch of boomers who run private equity firms using it as not just valuation for households or wealth creation for households, but wealth creation for hedge funds. (laughs) Like it's, I think, becoming clear how extractive that is. I would just add one thing that it's not just individual valuation or individual wealth, it's generational wealth. I mean, the generational wealth numbers between white and black families in the United States are fucking crazy. The way in which white generational wealth has exponentially increased. It's like a Fibonacci sequence. Like how many rabbits can we make based off of one family's generational wealth? And that generational wealth is fundamentally from fracking out all of the life potential of the black people that white people have snuffed out through prisons and over-policing and police violence or extrajudicial violence. I understand why boomers get pissy about being called out as a generation because, sure, not all of the white boomers have participated in the atrocities of their generation similarly, but they have, the white boomers have all benefited massively as a generational cohort from the refusal to share power of their generation, from a distance from risk as white people that they unequally then redistributed to people of color and queer people and women, but especially people of color who are queer. And they have built an entire global worldview that is so devoid of humanism and of liberalism that it's really hard to see a path forward with them here because they're cock-blocking liberalism, right? Like, either we're doing the equality thing or we're fucking doing capitalism. But at this point, the boomers have made capitalism and liberalism incompatible because their success is all that matters and they're willing to kill or maim or steal or destroy or flood or drought or pestilence, the shit to build the generational wealth of their shitty little white families. And it's not reasonable. So I am thinking a lot right now about the weaponization of woke as the boomer response to any kind of generational accountability. And so the resentment politics from the boomers, which is ironic since they've, you know, the white boomers have like amassed so much wealth and power as a global generation and created a convergence of fascism all across the globe. It's ironic because the call out's right. So the idea that, you know, they're going to weaponize woke and destroy the last public goods, which are public education in the United States and and the resources that come with literacy is like the most egregious self-owned, right? It's like, oh yeah, we're going to fuck our own grandkids. We're going to make it impossible for them to live on earth. Oh, I don't think that that's the own that you think it is. And they bless their hearts. They think that their private bunkers and their private islands with the Margaritaville are somehow going to be completely, I don't know, shielded from what's here and what's coming, it is the most self-indulgent crap. I don't think the boomers are that different from any earlier generation. Uh, I think U.S. prosperity has always been 
it's built on exploitation, right? It's always been about grabbing land and resource. Exactly. So boomers not different from earlier generations, not different from their parents, except the big difference is what was unprecedented is just how much access to resources and wealth were created during the period where boomers were born, how much economic growth there was, and how much more evenly it was distributed relative to how it is now. The other thing that's unprecedented is just how long the boomers are living compared to earlier generations. No (laughs) generation that has had that much ability to extract has been able to live that long and also persist in institutions of power as long. So they're not retiring at the same age that their parents were. A lot of boomers are staying in the workforce, especially at the executive class into their 70s and 80s. Um, They're not relinquishing control. At one point, the Speaker of the House and (laughs) um, the Majority Leader of the Senate, not that long ago, both (laughs) in their 80s, right? So that's part of that generational resentment. And as there have been fewer resources that are low-hanging fruit, There's only so many times you can exploit Black people for resources and for wealth creation. I I think that's expanding into younger generations. That's what charter schools are. Charter schools are an attempt to get the last low-hanging fruit, which are the tax dollars in poor communities, into private places, into private schools. I mean, it's 100% of wealth transferred from the most poor to the most wealthy. And you're right that there are things that are unprecedented about the cohort. I also think that they have access to healthcare resources as a result of the way that the economies have expanded, particularly in the United States and in Western Europe that they did not have access to before. But I mean, the difference between the socialized medicine countries and their life expectancy and their happiness compared to the United States is so huge as a gulf because we have for-profit health care. And that has also been a scam. So, you know, when you talk about Reagan being the inflection point for the boomers in terms of where their values went, which was anti-counterculture, anti-social movement, anti, you know, liberalism's values and pro-privatization, pro-corporatization, pro- conservative evangelical Christian, you're really talking about a movement that has built, in your words, a monoculture of boomers, which is why boomers get read as white. The boomers as a cohort, certainly in the United States, but also in much of the West, have been a generation of wealth hoarders. And that's why we have so much TV that's about white hoarders. Right. When they're hoarding newspapers or when they're hoarding cats or when they're hoarding motorcycle parts from a 1926 Indian. All of the TV shows that cater to boomers are about all the shit they've hoarded as a way to insulate themselves from any kind of economic stress. And that behavior has also translated into their politics where they want to be shielded from racial stress 
right? So they are fragile and white and they want to be shielded from any turmoil in the workplace where they would have to change their values in terms of consumption to have a different kind of politics of labor. I would say though, you know, there are some bright spots and I'm not generally glass half full Lisa, obviously, but I do think the labor organizing in this political moment speaks to what is a repudiation of those values and a real deep understanding among the millennials and Gen Z about how unsustainable the values of the movers are because none of the, you know, subsequent cohorts are anywhere near as big. So they're not going to have access to any of the lifestyle options that were available to white boomers. And even to boomers who are not white, it's not it's not the same distribution of resources because they have been destroyed. I, again, like don't think this generation is that different. The culture around marketing and the attention economy, social media, all of that is kind of creating like Gen Z as a consumer class that I don't think differs too much, at least not in like an economic sense from... The boomers. I think where the difference happens is around labor. And because it's a smaller generation, you've got fewer people going to college, which yep. is going to change the market conditions of college, right? So demand is going to go down, which will likely lead to prices going down. Supply will also decrease. A lot of colleges are going to close, um, in particular, small private colleges. It changes a lot of dynamics of the economy and it puts a lot more power into Gen Z as a workforce. I agree completely. So they're going to have a lot more negotiating power than boomers and Gen Z did in the workplace because there will be a labor shortage. It's certainly already happening in healthcare. Oh, it's going to happen in healthcare in perpetuity now. There aren't people to take those jobs. There's nobody left to take those jobs. They're not coming. So I think you're right about negotiating power. I think that gives them more wage power. I also think it changes their politics because with fewer people able to participate in politics as candidates or as high level politicos at any point in the political process, that also gives them exponentially more power if they're already there. There's a lot of, I think, punditry right now about this particular moment at the beginning of 2023 being sort of the political death rattle of the boomers and of the silent generation, quite frankly, because that's who's in the White House. (laughs) But, you know, and I don't I don't know that that's totally wrong. I just don't know that I think you're right. What comes after it is that different than what came before. I think ecological collapse is the major variable there to see where if people's values shift with their environment or not. Or if they're just like, oh, we're just going to lock the migrants out at the border and just let them die and not put it on the TV. Because I, I think it's an absolute option that people are grappling with right now and will be a persistent question in perpetuity now. The immigration question in some ways is the canary in the coal mine about where the values go in terms of both labor and also in terms of values. It's just hard to imagine a sea change without a complete crash of the economy or at least a reworking of what we target as a country um, in terms of economic growth. I mean, we have to do away with GDP, I think, before anything (laughs) changes. Unless, I mean, climate change will be a crisis. Um, It is a a crisis, yeah. Yeah, yes. (laughs) It's currently a crisis. 
yeah, and it, it's only getting worse. So it's hard for me to see, even with the boomers dying, like the growth mindset that rules economic policy, exponential growth. I like, check growth good. Yeah, that I think can't sustain no. major shifts in our generation's orientation. That's what's tough for me, like as someone who wants to have an ethical orientation. There are just so few models for how to do that, for how to like be community focused. So much of our workforce is driven towards that, like growth at all costs. Like here in Arkansas, you want to join a consumer packaged goods company. So e-commerce grew 25% from 2019 to 2020 because of the pandemic. And still like, it's not okay to go back to pre-pandemic levels of online shopping. It's like relentless growth, even when there's something that's unprecedented. Still, the shareholders are like, okay, we want even more. It's hard for me to see a way out of that. And so that's why I see like so many parallels between the boomers may have created this, but like each generation after that has bought in. And at Gen Z, even though they have this resentment, I mean, I think every generation has had that. And then eventually it's like, I can't be a waitress anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over like, my kid to college. Yeah. I've actually got to pay off all this student debt that I have. So every generation just ends up buying in. There's no way to keep going without a reinvestment in public goods and a transition of the economy back towards government managed stuff, right? That's just the deal of it. So the longer we go with destroying public goods and privatizing them, the more bullshit the thing is going to be and it's going to be horrible for more people and the risk is going to be really distributed against the poor and that's the direction we're headed in. But at some point, the gear is going to crap out because the resources are going to dry up. And that is, I think, what's on the horizon. Like, what happens if, you know, the workforce is decimated by a deadly virus and there's nobody left to pick the strawberries? And the country has been so whipped up into xenophobia and anti-immigration sentiment that no more migrants are... I mean... What happens is they ban abortion so that there's another working class. Yeah, but it's not going to It's not gonna go that way. They, they're not going to do it in every single way. They're never going to be able to replace the people who are here with a larger cohort. There is no other baby boom coming. Even though that is obviously part of their decision calculus, for sure, it's never going to be enough. They can't, there's not enough people to feed the beast if, it, if we let it continue to be so hungry. So as in your words, it's not a sustainable model. There's enough wealth, though, if it gets redistributed. Yeah, girl. But there's Stay no model the for that. The there's no model for that, though. Well, the, the, <laughs> sure, there's a model for that. I mean, you know, I think even the sensible economists are like, I don't know, like the tax brackets under Eisenhower are pretty high. The highest earners were taxed at 60%. There's a historical precedent for it. It was distributed into social goods like the GI Bill. I mean, there's a historical narrative that's patriotic and all of the things, right, that would get the white wackadoos on board. But people don't necessarily want to hear right now. They're going to be up against the wall. So I am not optimistic about it. I think it's going to lead to, you know, state violence, quite frankly. I don't think it's going to be some like utopian outcome. But I do think that the variables are changing in ways that the shareholders can't control and that they won't be able to control. And that creates interest convergence for new possibilities, right? That's where all of the dystopian novels hang their interesting thoughts are in this convergence between ecological disaster and new fasc fascism is where new futures are born. And that's 
quite literally where we're sitting. So I think that there are lessons that the boomer cohort has to teach us, but the world is not going to see another cohort that big in our lifetimes. And right now we're grappling with that reality in terms of how the markets will shift and how supply and demand will change and what that means for values. Because as much as I want to say that our individual values matter, and they do from an ethical perspective, from a saving the earth perspective, I mean, you can recycle all day long as the individual and that's not what's going to, you know, stop the earth from heating. And so... There has to be a concerted effort, and that takes a lot more than like our best intentions.